This is RPPR episode 78, base rating 101, and this is Ross Bain here with Roleplaying Bubble Radio, and with me, as always, Tom Church. Yep, just watching your head kind of jerk forward with every one of those words. Yes. Uh, like, you're, you have a powerful voice. It's been a little while since we've done an episode, and I apologize for that, you loyal listeners out there, because I've been waiting uh, until we could launch uh, the next RPPR <laughs> Kickstarter project, which is what this episode is about, uh, Base Raiders, which will be our first standalone role-playing game that will be available as an actual book that you can buy and hold. And It's going to be a thing, a physical thing. Yes, a physical thing. You can sleep with it. Yeah, okay. Take it to bed with you. Um, So it's a... It it will comfort you. Yes. Uh, Base Raiders, super-powered dungeon crawling. We'll talk a lot about it this episode. This is going to be about architecture in place, uh, the idea of a dungeon, what makes them interesting, why do we have them in role-playing games, that, all, all that kind of fun stuff, uh, thematic stuff. Uh, so Base Raiders is going to be a based on the Heroes of New Arcadia. It's going to be a standalone role-playing game, but if we meet certain stretch goals, there will be conversion guides for other superhero role-playing games. So we're going to base the game engine on the Fate RPG, which uh, Spirit of the Century, mm-hmm. uh, Dresden Files... Uh, icons a role-playing game Kerberos Club uh, from Arc Dream has a Fate Edition and a few other uh, there, well there are quite a few other role-playing games out there you that use Fate uh, so I'm very interested in learning it I've been reading it quite a bit uh, and learning you know using it for this uh, uh, project so this will be a lot of fun and uh, so check out the Kickstarter link which will have all the info about the project itself we'll be talking a little bit more about it but this is I promise this is not just going to be a sales pitch for Pace Raiders he we promises actually, yeah uh, there will actually be content in this episode uh, this is not by my eventual book uh, it's a theoretical it book yeah so uh, <laughs> moving onwards we're we're got a couple other bits of news uh, for Zombies of the World this is October zombie month and so I've created a uh, got a programmer to create a zombie survival uh, and risk analysis quiz. So you can go to zombiesoftheworld.com slash quiz and take a quiz to see how well you do in a zombie apocalypse. This measures your sort of personality, your aptitudes, your skills, and not only will you be told what your chance of survival is, it'll also rate you against various species of the undead. So you can see how well you do against revenants, how well you do against talking zombies, and against human threats, like the insane religious fanatics and uh, with guns yeah and so on and so forth so it's uh and also if you take the quiz there's a coupon code quiz for 10 percent off your order so you know buy that book too so yeah ross is all about the buying of books uh and two other bits of news (laughs) uh there's a new rppr video up which we'll have a link of to our uh playthrough artemis spaceship simulator (laughs) yes we actually did this in august that is in the video with fez and tom is there with an eye patch and uh, that was my costume that was your costume and it worked yeah i'm wearing a karate outfit i got from my brother that he Mm. wore as a halloween costume so uh and it's pretty ridiculous and we're just we won we won but we're by the grace of like despite it was I, not, yeah. We won in spite of ourselves, not, yeah, not because much. of ourselves. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it, we're, we're just terrible at like, it. I bet the ship crew was like, holy crap, Captain, we succeeded. Yeah. And the Captain was as surprised as we are. Like, yeah, I was a great Captain. <laughs> yeah. And by that, yeah. I mean terrible. Just just terrible. Um, and finally, in one last bit of news, uh, Cody 
former RPPR regular and player uh, who's also now doing the, the, the blog Popcorn Chaos is doing the Kickstarter of his own called No More <coughs> City, which is a comic book that he wants to do. Uh, so check that out. And uh, <coughs> it's a noir fantasy thing. So it's a little like powers, I guess. Uh, and they've got a good artist for it. The art is a little like Ben Templesmith. Yeah. Uh, and it looks, yeah, it looks like a good, it'll be a good, interesting uh, Worthy book. of your money. Yeah, so um, get his stuff too, um, and because you know he's only he doesn't even want as much as I do. So um, check that out. And oh, and for the this isn't really news. I finally got to play D and D next before. So for our anecdote, uh, I'm going to be talking about my playtest experience with D and D next. So uh, I won't be spoiling anything, I guess. So, anyways, and I will uh, sit here and pretend that I have something to add. Well, you can talk about you know your how judge rate how it, it's going versus asking questions about it or whatever. So I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll figure will, it out. It will be a spirited debate, much like the, much like the presidential debates. <laughs> yeah. Or the, hopefully more like the vice presidential debates. Yeah. Those were a little, those that, were, that was a little more exciting. So, uh, anyways, let us get <clears throat> on to the main topic, base rating one one So the whole idea of base raters is that you're, you, you, in a world world that had superheroes and supervillains, uh, let's one day all of them, the major ones disappear. And so leaving behind many, many secret bases, uh, you know, fortresses of solitude, bat caves, Dr. Doom's castle, those kind of places. I mean, it, it seems very, it's a very common trope in the superhero genre. And yet people don't really. So to me that like, isn't that a dungeon, you know, with all the traps yeah. and the guardians? And the I, it, it totally is. I, so, but in my opinion, I think that's st- those are a lot better dungeons than like some tomb. Yeah. Um, certainly, uh, I don't think it's really been done in a superhero game before this, this idea. And so I, I developed a whole, uh, idea of how to make that into a role playing game in of itself. So the whole idea of base raiders is that the, the bases are, you need to raid them, uh, to keep up your power levels to, to gain, because that's, it's about normal people who find ways to give themselves superpowers. You know, they find the super soldier drug and inject themselves with it. They find the book of magic and read it, whatever. And they have to do it. An intense competition. Yeah, with there's others. a lot of because there's a lot of bad guys out there. And now there's an arms race between them, and so for me, um, a lot of base raiders um, comes out of my interest in ruins and in the, you know I've I've talked a lot about urban exploration and right. stuff like that in the past, and it's uh, recently last couple of months I played through the Fear trilogy, the the Fear <laughs> trilogy of video games. It made me really think that there's this whole genre of ruins exploration in video games, and it's really really dominant in like uh, first person shooters and horror games where you're going. It's um, so I was trying to come up with a term for it, and so <laughs> yeah. And uh, as I explained to Tom, like you know, there's you, it's not really po- apocalyptic or post apocalyptic, you know, because it these are about individual places. Like yeah. the, the 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 best example aside from the fear games, I think would be like Bioshock. You go to this underwater base, and it's everyone's dead, or you know, they're crazy, long mutants. gone. Yeah, well, there's enough people for you to fight, but it's not like you know. 95% of the people that are the remaining 5% want to kill you and they're all crazy mutated mm. people. So but you go through the, the this ruin of an under underground or underwater, you know, mm-hmm. colony base whatever you want to call it and you find elements of what the people are left behind, yeah. you know, the party decorations from New Year's, the diaries, yeah. the yeah. I actually a good film version that I just thought of is Ghost Ship. Yeah, it was a uh, ship from the 60s that they go to and 
yeah, it's now like 30 or 40 years old, but there's still clues like empty spent shell casings littering the ground. Yeah. It's it, it's completely recognizable as what it once was. Right. And you can kind of think of, oh, well, that's a haunted house genre. Well, yeah, no, because like haunted houses are always places that usually that people are, oh, that's the haunted house down the street. This is the ghost ship or the, the Bioshock underground place or like in dead space, the, the, the spaceship mm-hmm. are all very isolated and cut off from the rest of the world. There's no you know cops knocking on the doors to find out what's going on or anything like that. You're the first responder usually. And it's – you're going through these ruins and you, you can imagine what happened to these people, but you don't, you know, you don't, you only see trace elements of it. So there's a whole genre of this ruins exploration. And so like you, it, like I was thinking of, you know, there's the word utopia, which I looked up the etymology for, which is uh, the Greek word for t- places, topos. Mm-hmm. And then either good or a no, no mm-hmm. is uh, spelled like or it's pronounced you, so it's utopia, either the good place or the no place, which is kind pretty clear. It's yeah. very clever. Ah, utopia can't exist because uh, humans were kind of fucked anyway. Uh, and then there's dystopia, which means ba- dis comes from the Greek word for bad, so it's bad place. So it's kind of like ruins place, and so the Greek, the ancient <coughs> Greek word for ruin is arepion. Uh, At least that's the. Uh, what the ancient Greek dictionary tells yeah. me the Latin translation, Latin transliteration is. So, uh, a repiotopia, something like that. I don't know. Maybe there's a linguist that among our listeners that can come up with a better, cooler word for it, but that's where the, the Genesis is like, why don't we we'll have a Noam, whole game of we'll going get Noam Chomsky words? on this? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he will be happy. To I'm help sure us. he would, uh, not lecturers about politics. So <laughs> this whole idea of like, why don't we make a role playing game about going through ruins that are not dungeons? Like, you know, a dungeon is very much a fantasy thing, but like a modern or science fiction, you know, kind of dungeon or, you know, place or ruin would be an interesting place to have a game. And uh, so what better place to put that in the superhero <coughs> genre? Because superhero genre is very forgiving. You can you yeah. can make it horror. You you can go back into, you know, happy action or you can make it crazy sci-fi high concept kind of thing. I know some people are going to get pissed. Oh, we're using the word high con, the phrase high concept wrong. So I uh, won't judge you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Bet. But it's sort of like thinking and going back, let's get back to the roots of what places or what dungeons are. What is the, the role of place of architecture in, in role playing games in general? So, um, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Well, obviously to me, architecture is, at its core, is just it's a setting, but I think it's kind of a specific kind of setting. Mm-hmm. It's specifically one where every where everything is going to take place, right? In that, in whatever adventure you're well, running, I mean, I, I, well, to, to me, because you know, obviously, you can have whole worlds to explore, yeah. But when you go to a dungeon, yeah, you you go there for pretty much for one purpose. Right, and that's to go through. That's most likely to go through the big overarching adventure for this session. Right, but I mean, it's architecture is of course an artificial. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you could talk about the architecture architecture of adventure design, the structuring. So everything you do, even if you're in the middle of the desert in a role playing game, it's still 
about architecture because the game master had to design that dun- that desert, that place. He had to imagine it. But if you're talking about a dungeon, the, the thing that I find interesting is it's an artificial place almost always. It's either – it's a tomb. Uh, it's a tomb. It's even if it's a cavern, there's there's a re, there's some sort of artificiality to it. Like there are there's monsters in it, intelligent monsters or a wizard. There's infrastructure it's, in it it's, most of the time. Yeah, there's infrastructure. There's there's some kind of reason. There, it's some sort of intelligence is in there, uh, or has altered the place, has you know re, reshaped the place. Um, it's sell. I, I I know there are some dungeons that are totally natural in the sense like it's a cavern and there are hazards like you know rock slide you know rock mm-hmm. avalanches and shit like that but like not very many there's oh you like i can't pretty much every popular dungeon i could think of is you know mostly artificial there's construction in it. yeah there's construction in it but it's unlike a city or a normal place there's no rules it's still a wild and dangerous place like it's still a you know for all in tents and purposes a demilitarized zone it's like this place this no man's land that you're not supposed to go to but it's not it's one of those enter at your own risk we yeah. we take no like we take no responsibility it's artificial for but an absence through. of law you know an absence of order um you know it's seldom like one thing i find interesting dungeons are seldom like active military fortresses that you have to infiltrate it's not like solid snake you know he goes into a base and he just takes out the guards and tries to get to the thing seldom dungeons are kind of like there's always this element of abandonment don't you think the or, temple like uh i said the temple from uh the opening of raiders of the lost ark yeah you know he's you know that going into the idol's temple that's yeah, that's like, a perfect like dun- perfect yeah. dungeon. Yeah, because it's it's built, it, but it's you been can tell abandoned. people used to you can tell people used to live here long ago. Yeah, and they left behind security systems. Yeah, that still work, which is mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, but there's still this, uh, but it's not like it's an, a bank vault that's actively being guarded. We don't think of banks. You know, there are bank mm-hmm. robbers, but we don't think of bank robbers as dungeon crawlers. No. No, because you know, because that's sort of an active, lived-in place that people are actively, you know, and there's using. and there and there's you know, authorities are within just a phone call away, right? Uh, so it becomes less of a dungeon. <laughs> like uh, uh, that's what I find interesting about the con- concept of a dungeon crawl is that there's always this idea of ruin in it. There's this idea mm-hmm. of abandonment of like Iso- and- uh, isolation of like. Um, civilization has departed, or this this civilization is gone. Or in that case, like I, I kind of like you know, or civilization that isolation has taken back over, mm-hmm. a place that used to be civilized, yeah, but no longer. Right, and this this sort of I think this is important because if you like look into the reading of. The hit, there's this whole uh, history of ruins in the sense of like what is the philosophical ideal of a ruin? What is the, what are the aesthetics of ruins? And there's this kind of you know memento memore uh, aspect to them where like this is what a civilization was. Perhaps one day our civilization will be like this. Perhaps our own house will be like this. So people always the people going through the dungeon or the the ruins always tried to connect it to themselves. Yeah, like. I think a good example like Pripyat, Ukraine. Yeah, which is right next, to, right near Chernobyl. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a perfect modern ruin. That's like the like 
Um, because every time you talk about that, every time you, every it's, time it's, I hear about it, it's like frozen in the, in like 1985. That's exactly it. That's like how people describe it. It's not, it's not even the radio tech, you know, they mentioned Chernobyl, but they say it's a time capsule. It's frozen in time. People couldn't take anything. You know, the calendars are still on the walls. That's how they describe it. That's the first thing that comes to mind, uh, when people describe that and it's very consistent. And so like, that's the most important aspect of it to it. Not that, you know, it, nothing about the architecture of the houses, nothing about the people. It's that it was frozen. It was left. It was mm. abandoned suddenly. Or, a more obscure version. I don't know if you ever watched Ghostbusters too. Yeah, the Van Horn, the pneumatic transit system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the under the very first underground subway. Yeah. yeah, it was basically frozen in like turn of the century America. Now, is that real or is that made up for the movie? Um, Do you know the actual like the the actual pneumatic transit system? I think was made up, but there are like the original subway lines buried beneath the current ones. Yeah, and a lot of them are still there. Some of those stations from like the early 1900s are still are still there. Yeah, just completely abandoned. Yeah. So I mean, the question is, why is this important? Like, why is this sense that it has to be abandoned uh, important <coughs> for a dungeon? Like, why is that? Why is that, you know, the place that has been abandoned a dungeon and the place that has people living in it not a dungeon? Uh, I mean, usually that's the case. I mean, usually there are, actually there are people in dungeons, but they're always like they were, second they're, generation. They're not residents. Well, they're residents. They're, they're, they're not the original residents. They're not the original residents. Perfect. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, they're squatters. They're a goblin case of opportunists. Like, yeah, like, yeah, like a goblin tribes moved in here just because it's there. Right, right. Or they, or a cultist comes back because he wants to research the oriz- original work of the wizard who built that, you know, that tower mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, or, in, I mean, there are some exceptions, you know, like if it's a tomb. And it's just an undead wizard, you know, a lich inside, you know, it's just, but that, then there's that, that kind of like that bubble, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, like a time capsule element to it. So or in a lot of cases, always it's, a, in this or, case, a time capsule has a fucking angry wizard. In it. Yeah. Or it's like, you know, or something has moved in there and re try and is repurposing it for its own use. Yeah. That's the case of like, say like, you know, one of those, you know, like spiders, like giant monster spiders have taken over a place. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's essentially – it's the same place except now it's, it's webbed all over. But there's places you can remove web and see something that used to be part of this civilization or whatever it was. Yeah. So there's there's sort of a, a – the, yeah, so this it's very important in there. And you can talk a lot about – you know, there are there are books written about this subject, and I, I, you know, one of them I've been reading about the necessity of ruins. I think I mentioned it before on the podcast, but it talks about the aesthetics of this, and it's a very complex topic. So I'm not gonna like go into, and I'm still absorbing it, trying to figure it out myself. <laughs> but it's it's you know we it's a very common thing, and what's interesting is. Uh, you know, video games all have this. They all have that. Like in the video games, are always going in abandoned places. Uh, you know, first-person shooters. I think partly because of technical reasons. Like if you went into an active, you can't simulate thousands of people in a city block. You know, in a video game right. quite yet because of you know technical reasons. So it's better to say, oh, this was a busy hospital, but then monsters showed up and killed Pardon, everybody. Actually, Fallout know. Three and like Fallout Three in yeah. Washington D.C. I think it's important because in that one, it's it's like that, and you can also recognize things. Yeah, I think I, that's more that's important. I, I, I think it is too because I think it's about the again the the how this place makes you feel the the person playing the game or the person as a role player like you know like oh my god this could be a city that I you know if it's some alien tomb that you have no understanding of then it doesn't yeah like you were talking about that earlier like before the show like how dungeons don't mean as much to you as like yeah dungeons don't mean as much as like actual like fairly recent ruins i, I mean a fallout 3 is a really good example because right. 
like, like you know, you've played that obviously. Yeah. And when you and you've gone into the Capitol building. Mm-hmm. The thing is, like, I've been in the Capitol building. I've mm-hmm. seen the rotunda, and it, the rotunda is in the game, right? And it's 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 a lot more. It's a lot more. It, it affects me more when it's like a place I recognize, right? You know, as now now it's just decrepit and you know, obvi- and abandoned for many years, right? I think that's more effective than you know, like the catacombs of Paris or something, right? That I have no connection to. I mean, yes, I would love to see them. I'm sure they're very interesting to see. Mm. But in the case of, like, you know, affecting me, it's not going to be as much as something that, like, it's, you said, like, the familiar made unfamiliar. Right. I think that's far more effective, which is why I think more ruins that are, like, 100 years old or more, mm-hmm. I think, are a lot more effective than ancient, ancient ruins. Right. Um, I mean, there's certainly, and well, even ancient, ancient ruins. I think it depend there if it can make you relate, if it can relate. If to you can recognize, if you can like, recognize, I think what Pompeii it was. would be, yeah, because you can see the people literally. You know, they're they're exactly they're, where they drop, um, and the graffiti that's been left behind. You know that that like if you read the translation, there are tra- on the websites there are translations of all the graffiti on the walls of Pompeii, mm-hmm. and it's like the graffiti you read today. You know, I slept with the you know waitress here. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. You know. Machu Picchu, I think, would be another good example. Yeah, because it's kind of it's largely intact. Yeah, just obviously long abandoned. So, the, so you have to. So, I think a good ruins a good for. So, getting it back to role playing games, I think if you're going to design a base, a ruin, a dungeon, there, if you want to make it effective to the players, there has to be. <clears throat> it's not about always about the trap design, the monster design, and making it. It's about how it relates to the players and how to get that sort of emotional resonance. To them, because if you go into the Capitol building, you describe how this was once the seat of government, and you can see everything, and only covered in dust, and there's ruins and fragments everywhere. I think players would be a lot more effective than if you created some, you know, baller, crazy alien uh, dungeon that was just you know made by a wizard with yeah. force walls and walls of or, fire and stuff like that. Or like the second Planet of the Apes movie, yeah, you know, where it's New York City is now like an underground cavern. Right. It works a lot better because you. You can clearly rec- see things, right? That- so I think that's that's sort of an important thing. So <clears throat> that so for base ratings, if you're doing a superhero base, if you're doing a supervillain base, like how do how do you do that? How do you make that come across? I mean, um, well, I think um, obviously the thing with like you know, like I think with supervillains, you can get a little crazy and still go with it because these yeah. are obviously these are wizards, these are super scientist villains, that, right? But you know, if also with stuff you recognize, like you know. I think I, I think I, a table like if you see a table with like ancient discarded embalming tools covered in dust, yeah, it's not going to hit you as much as say a typewriter on the yeah. desk covered in dust, <laughs> or and next to it is like one of the old rotary phones from the fifties. Yeah, I think that's going to be a lot more effective. Yeah, something incongruous. I think that you, some- can, that you can tell that. I think something that confers to you. You are the like you are like you're the first person to come upon to stumble upon this place in a long time. I think that's important too. Like you're the first to to trespass, the first to see it. Or you don't even have to be. That, I mean, you can even use it if you're not the first. You know, yeah. if you, you see all this stuff from the '50s, and then over to the side, th- there's a modern gun, not yeah. quite as covered in dust. Yeah. Well, you know, like oh crap, were we the first? Yeah. 
That's, and like, and that, what happened? Yeah, that, to them? I mean, that can work too. Um, <laughs> I think for superhero, uh, superhero and supervillain bases, one important thing is that that right is the the idea that this, as crazy as it could be, you know, and we're, we're talking about the superhero genre. This could be, you know, a tesseract inside a pocket dimension with mm-hmm. all kind, you know, non Euclidean geometry and alien, you know, gra- and randomly changing gravity and all kinds of crazy shit, but. It's still at some point the reason the superheroes and villains ba- needed built these places because they needed it uh, because they couldn't exactly use the existing infrastructure yeah. of the civilization. You know, they needed a storage shed. They couldn't just fucking rent a storage <laughs> shed. You know, like can I store my extra plutonium in this place? You know, like they needed a fuck. They needed like, to build everything. Could I possibly get it t- uh, one of the temperature controlled ones? Or is that do you have any more of those left? Yeah, yeah if a velociraptor <laughs> that's been you know. If you went back in time and got bitten by a velociraptor and you have to come back and you can't exactly get that treated at a hospital because they're going to ask a lot of awkward questions, you know, and you're like, oh, shit, they're like Komodo dragons are poisonous or they, they gave me a disease. A, a, so you have to build your own hospital. You have to build your own medic base. So and uh, and then again, the most important thing is that it's your you have to build a sort of a, 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 a shelter, a home, you know, mm-hmm. or at least someplace where you can rest and recover. Yeah. So I think that's I think it's also important that these places know that these places had a purpose. Yeah. I've seen there's some adventures where like there are these grand underground tombs that seem to have no purpose. Yeah, you know, or like they build this huge mass uh, underground tomb with traps and mystical and you know mystical wards, and all it is is like a burial chamber for one guy. Right. Where clearly, like you know, this took hundreds of years to do. Why would you do it for this one guy? Yeah. Like, well, I just you know we just wanted a really elaborate dungeon. Like, yeah. Oh, oh, gee, thanks. Yeah. I mean, unless that guy was a demigod and built it himself because mm. he was fucking crazy, then, you know. But most of the time it's not. Yeah. Which is why I think, yeah, it's when you recognize, like, oh, this is where he slept. This yeah. is, he, like, he, like this was his bath. He, he had a bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> he had a, there was a toilet and a shower. Yeah. So I think, <clears throat> so that's one idea whenever you're designing. And then, yeah, the purpose, that, that sort of informs what's going to be there. Like, some of these superhero bases are going to be, you know, like the Fortress of Solitude, massive dungeons, basically, with multiple levels, with multiple, like, you know, here's the prison, here's the armory, here's the mm. lab. But other could be, you know, much more simple. They could be, like, a single room, like a safe house. Like, here's my hidden apartment that I hid with alien technology, but it's in the city, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just a place where I could, you know, rest after getting the crap beat out of me, you know. Because I'm not exactly an alien from Krypton. Right, yeah, I just stole I'm on a alien. budget. Yeah, yeah, I'm on a budget. <laughs> nice. So uh, you have to think about its purpose. So I think the thing is, you know, architecture, we usually think of the, <coughs> how the how you can use these places. Um, you can use them, obviously, as an enemy where it's this or this challenge with the traps and the, the layout and uh, the, the hazards. Mm-hmm. But it could also be a MacGuffin itself. It could just be like the place itself isn't that dangerous to be in. It's just what is there's something important about like it holds something important or there's some sort of mechanism inside the the base like it has the control room to the nuclear reactor or whatever so some so the place itself could just be uh a macguffin you know mm-hmm. like it could be uh the place you don't you don't spend time in there it's getting to there or you know or making, finding it or making sure other people don't find it you know uh controlling access to it so uh some of these bases don't even have to be dungeons and so. some of these bases could be characters in and of themselves too yeah depending you, on what's there like there's like a if there's a controlling force behind it right yeah definitely uh again a very common thing in the superhero genre is the sort of in 
animate forces, you know, the, the, uh, yeah. whether it's uh, a genius loci, the, idea. whether it's an AI, whether it's yeah, a, a spirit. spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, uh, you know, the X-Men, <laughs> we have the danger room eventually became a robot danger that, you know, was a sentient, you know, danger room basically. So you, you, you can have that kind of thing as well. So, um, so again, I think we were talking, Oh, we were talking about ruins. And uh, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, that you're certainly is, talking about the aesthetics is there's this whole idea of the ruin value which is this is actually goes to a topic of interest for you you know mm-hmm. uh albert spear so um i don't know what, what when i bring up ruin value what comes to mind or albert spear well albert spear obviously was a uh, hitler's chief uh architect yeah and later became chief of his uh, armaments division in the later part of the war and uh, he was also the one that's supposed to be designing the you know the new Germanian Empire, you know from you know the the new capital city, which he on several occasions told Hitler was completely you know unworkable. Right. But also and, and also he was uh, he was also the one that made sure you know Germany didn't institute scorched earth policy, which he prevented that. But he also he built he also uh, designed I, I believe he was one of the designers of the Führer bunker. Right. So, uh, so, but what's interesting is he had this idea of ruin value, which was something he and Hitler both agreed on. They had this romantic view of reality, which was sort of informed a lot of the yeah. political decisions later on, um, not pragmatism or realism. Um, but the, the idea, the basic idea behind ruin value is the idea is that a building's value should not just be judged in how it is when it's built and used, but how it would be in a thousand years what would <coughs> basically you build a building to make sure that when it collapses or when it falls apart or whatever it's a beautiful ruin like because they loved the Colosseum, they loved ancient roman the parthenon yeah the parthenon all these ancient ruins and they wanted to make sure that their buildings would eventually be they'd ruin beautifully mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah so that that was the idea it's like oh in a thousand years but ancient looks so beautiful with all these nice ruins covered in ivy and uh and it's it's crazy, but you know, I can see a lot of people here and today like, oh yeah, man, that's a good idea. Like we should build our buildings like that. Like I mean, I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just don't see it like I don't see that happening with like the Burj Khalifa or something. Yeah. You know, like modern office buildings I don't think are No, they're definitely built uh to be as cheap and as efficient as possible. And mm-hmm. I really don't see any ruin value in say a big box store. A fucking local Walmart's gonna be yeah. pretty ugly if it lasts ten yeah. years. I, I, I can't think of much. I can't think of much in America, like the Capitol building, maybe. Yeah, because columns just seem to be really good for ruins. <laughs> so for some reason, just columns are. I don't know. I think I think a lot of nineteenth-century architecture would be like even uh, the downtown library, you mm-hmm. know, which was uh, was that built by Carnegie or is that uh, one of the Rockefellers? Do you remember? I think it was uh, one of the Rockefellers. Yeah, one of the Rockefellers. You know, um, they built all those old old school robber barons, built a shitload of libraries <laughs> and buildings. Out. Hell, even the town hall, uh, city mm-hmm. hall uh, uh, here. There's a lot, a yeah. lot of those older, Victorian or a lot, of, or a lot of the uh, like the mansions built by the super rich of the Gilded Age. Yeah, like the Breakers. You know, hell, I mean, we we can see it. Actually, we can see it right now. I mean, what isn't that what urban exploration is all about? Like, you see all these photos of. People going into abandoned insane asylums that were abandoned in the 80s or 70s, and uh, they look beautiful now. You know the the paint peeling off, the mm-hmm. the, the remnants, you know the rusted wheelchairs and shit, and you know in the hallways, ancient, ancient antiseptic. Yeah, exactly. And uh, people, the, it's it's rather beautiful. So those buildings, which were also built Victorian mm-hmm. era, uh, for the most part, were pretty. 
beautiful when they were owned. But these, yeah, buildings today, you know, big mansions and suburbs mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of, eh, I don't see that. I don't think you see them lasting very long. No, no, I don't either. Like, yeah. Buckingham Palace, I think, would make a good ruin. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, something like that. Tower of London. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. If they ever let it fall into ruination. You know, well, that's true. Uh, London yeah. Bridge might yeah. be kind of interesting <laughs> as a ruin. Um, but actually, I think there there would be some other things because, you know, uh, you're know, speaking about spear and ruins. Some of these ruins aren't just for aesthetic value or aren't, you know, some of these buildings aren't built for ruin value but for long-term use. And, um, you know, spear built the Fuhrer Bunker. But you know, I know you were mentioning before the show that you're very interested in using bunkers and sort of Cold War architecture as like because it, I mean they're because I like them they're they're designed specifically to survive long term right they're, you know so they're sort of the opposite you know. yes it's you know these things no are ruin yeah, value. Yeah, yeah these things are designed to to stay intact even after direct impact of a nuclear weapon right and to and also to made of stuff that doesn't crumble easily so I mean yes they're I mean they're not designed for beauty. They're, they're, I think what I like about bunkers is they're pure utilitarian function. Mm-hmm. Everything in them, yeah, is uh, uh, once again like the vaults from Fallout. Yeah, they are they are basically like they are pragmatism to the to the extreme. Yeah, like, nothing here. No, there's no aesthetic here. It's right. this is this is for survival and for you uh, an engineering and, and to live for yeah. and to last for centuries. So. Right. I think that's what I like about bunkers is they can actually stay intact far better than like a castle. If they're well built. If they're well built. Yeah. Um, I know there's some Cold War era bunkers that aren't doing so well. Um, some of those dictators in some of the Soviet mm-hmm. satellite countries, they all had bunkers. And well, but a lot of them weren't built very well. Well, that's what I mean. You know, yeah. like, you know, NORAD's obviously, I mean, even NORAD, I think. Uh, they're they're because their budgets, you know, it's Mid-slide. basically it's because, a, well, there is no more cold war. Yeah, so they they haven't shut it down, but they aren't doing much for it. Like mm-hmm. they, they've obviously cut back the, the personnel and everything there. I don't know. Yeah. heard much about that. Right. Yeah, yeah, and also well, yeah, you know, or like the ones they actually like, there are several bunkers. I forget the names of the locations, which were actually designed to be the new capital in the event of a nuclear war. Yeah, so they're actually designed. You know, they have like they have offices that. Are designed to look exactly like the Oval Office. Oh yeah, I mean you can see that, and that, again, like going back to video games, that that you can see that, like in Fallout Two, <coughs> we have the the oil rig where there is mm. a there's an uh, there's an Oval a, Office Oval in. Office in there, so the 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 president in waiting can uh, uh, make speeches to his people, and mm. it's <laughs> very crazy. But yeah, that that, that like, well, of, it's yeah designed it's designed for morale for the citizens because. Yeah. They need. They want to see their president broadcasting from yeah, the, the cap- White House. The White House. <laughs> no matter, even if Washington's been scorched with nukes. Yeah. So yeah, you had you so you, out of these other concerns, uh, you have these buildings built totally opposite <laughs> to what Spear was doing. You know, was the idea of uh, that these like well, these are designed to not be ruins. Yeah, not be ruins. Never to to survive as long as possible. But that also comes up with its own sort of unique aesthetic, like. It, it, uh, the, the the it becomes an aesthetic of itself, you know. People like like the, the whole Fallout video game series is about that, and they sort of I wouldn't say they fetishized it, but like they certainly took that bunker design idea and f- fucking ran with it, wouldn't you mm-hmm. say? Because um, there's so many different vaults, and each one of them is crazy. But I also th- like how you know there are all these missile silos that have been abandoned now mm. you know, a lot of people buy them as houses now. exactly they they buy them and convert them into houses and i love that and I, that would be freaking awesome yeah i think that, but that's sort of the triumph like and no matter how like oh this is only 
utilitarian and this is the only form people put their own aesthetic like oh they like it so going back to basing you know or mm-hmm. base raiders uh, the idea is <coughs> so you can really justify just about any sort of combination of things mm-hmm. so you could take you know people repurpose old buildings old places you know frequently you know we have the goblins that have repurposed the old wizard's tower and then we have people repurposing missile silos into houses or the xenomorphs repurposing the colony yeah exactly aliens yeah the, you know i'm talking about those yeah ruins but there are movie examples of that as well so yeah aliens uh, is a perfect example of that that's very structured much like like i think a lot of first person video games are structured after aliens you know mm-hmm. like because uh, yeah, certainly I mean, half because uh, the Hadley's Hope Colony and Aliens, it's I loved I loved it because it's not ruined, mm-hmm. but because it was like well, ab- it's ruined. Well, it's ruined, but it was like abandoned. But it was abandoned weeks ago rather right. than years. Right. And I love that you know there's just little things like there's one like there's one scene I remember is a tiny little quick scene just they're going to this office and there's a coffee cup and a donut still on a d- desk except it's now damp because water's been dripping on it. Right. But right. It's a, there's a donut with a bite out of it yeah. and a coffee cup. Right, and that's what, and that's exactly the same kind of idea that like gets us excited about you know uh, Chernobyl mm-hmm. and uh, Pompeii and this you know the graffiti on the yeah. wall, the the calendars left on the wall, uh, or the the donut. <laughs> yeah, that's a great that's a great yeah. observation. And so you have to think with the, the the if you're doing a base, so you come up with a superhero who has a cloning lab or whatever. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, have the report, have a screensaver on. His computer's still on. He's still logged in <laughs> yeah. to Facebook. And guys going. Gary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so even though it's been seven months and uh, there's – yeah, so um, that's – so these are – so the, bring this all up is just think, get you guys thinking about how to use – how to use place, how to th- rethink the dungeon, um, thinking about what its role is in the game and how – because I think – a lot of people don't like dungeon crawling because it gets into formula. It's formulaic. It's very it, yeah. It's uh, this idea of simulating dungeon crawling. It's kind of born out of old school Dungeons and Dragons, where you you map everything on a, on grid paper and mm-hmm. five, you know, by ten foot square and reveal it slowly as you yeah, go. And you have to figure out the traps, and the traps are always bastards. You know, the Tomb of Horrors kind of thing. Like you stick your arm in there, you die. You know, so. It's, you know, what do you do? How do you do this? Um, And I think the thing is, you have to think more about the emotional importance of the place, how to get the players to think this is an interesting place, and then how to make an adventure around it. Um, And Indiana Jones and aliens are great examples of that. You know, the Indiana Jones is the, you know, I have to get the thing inside the the dangerous Mm -hmm. place. I have to find the dangerous place first, and then I have to risk my life to get the thing that's inside the dangerous place. Then I have to get back out of the dangerous place. Without being seen by the bad guys. Yeah. And mm-hmm. but in aliens, it's like a mystery at first. It's like well, it's like it's a rescue mission that you find out there's no one to rescue. Right. So it's a mystery. Like what happened to those people? What's going on? And the the, the yeah, whole which, mystery. I, I think aliens. It's no like landing on that colony was would be no different than boarding the Mary Celeste for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> really, just because you don't have a fucking clue what happened, and it could be really really bad. Yeah. But you don't know. So, uh, so the thing is, how do you how do you make an interesting base? How do you make something that's going to be great for players that aren't into dungeon? I mean, you, you can certainly do that hardcore dungeon crawling thing mm-hmm. where everyone's grid paper and stuff like that. And I know there are people that love that, you know. But I uh, I'm not one of them, right? So how would you do? Uh, um, <coughs> how would you design a base? My uh, me personally, going entirely on my side. First of all, I'd make it less than a hundred years old or less. Yeah. 
for sure. Yeah. Well, certainly that would come into the play since it's a superhero genre. Yeah. So. so, I mean, it's got to be, you know, first of all, it has to be, first thing, I would have to know exactly what this place was. Yeah. And what it was used for. I yeah. mean, I need to know, was this this guy's just private lab that he hid, or did he actually live here? Did he have staff here? Yeah. Because, I mean, it. I, th- I th- you know, if you if he had staff here, then you have to take that into account and, you know, throw in, like, oh, and here's some bunk rooms where there's, like, you know, military bunk beds. So how much, you, like, so that's interesting. So you're actually mapping everything out, like. Well, I think what would be there, like, actually, Divine Fire, when I designed yeah. uh, the base. Yeah. I, I, I was taking all that into account. Okay, it's a Nazi research facility, so there's going to be civilian workers, scientists, there's going to be military people, so. I got so I have make sure I have to have some barracks here. I have to have some barracks and some living quarters. I so actually, if you have staff, you have to have everything people need to live, right? Which includes food, dining, you know, hygiene facilities, all that. You have to make sure all that's in there, right? Then, of course, if it's then you think, okay, well, this is military, so there also has to be armories, watchtowers, motor pool, motor pool, and of course, it's also a science lab. So right. then, the science lab, that's okay. So what kind of science was it? Right. What were things like if it's generators? Yeah, yeah. regenerators. If it's a reactor, you would need a containment room. Yeah. Essentially, first thing I would do is find out, know exactly what this place was for, everything they would need. I would design it from there. And once you have the base, I think I call that just like the framework. Then you can start kind of you know putting in your own embellishments. You know, like um, like I said, the donut with a bite left out of it. Right. Just the things that make the adventure an adventure. Well, go back to mapping. So you you like. Figure out where all the buildings were, but you didn't mm-hmm. go into the detail of like how the room layouts were for each building or anything. Like I that. actually, I didn't. I had it in my head, but I didn't write it down because right. I didn't think feel I needed to. I feel most people when you mention it's a barracks, there are bunk beds lined up, they can probably visualize that in their heads. I only really mapped out the like I mapped out the reactor chamber, okay, because that was entirely my creation, and I think it needed a much. A I think much that's. More I, I think that's a good rule of thumb. I mean, if it's if it's a. Type of building that people would be familiar with. Then like, everyone knows what a bathroom looks like. Right. Everyone knows what a barracks looks like. But if you're doing something unusual, like the bathroom of an alien, you know, for example, that's you know seventy mm-hmm. feet tall, then like that's a fucking football sized you yeah. know room. Which is another thing. I UFOs they never address that. Yeah. When you go aboard alien ships in any game or RPG I've been in, they never address that. <laughs> and I think XCOM. and I think that is that's wrong. <laughs> I think I want to see alien bathrooms when I board some alien ship. Well, they just they have they have air airlocks. They can just, you know, space it. So Yeah, but what if they can't? Well, well that's a question for the ages. Well, okay, well if it's not a spaceship, what if it's an alien base? Well, that's true. That's true. I, I, yeah, no arguments here. It is. But yeah, anyway. So, <laughs> so yeah, I only, yeah, I only describe the stuff that I, I think really needs to be described. Well, and you only map. So, I mean, that's the thing about dungeons. <coughs> I think that a lot of people don't like designing dungeons, or some game masters don't like designing dungeons because of all the mapping that you mm-hmm. have to do. And that's certainly a problem for some people. Like, because, you know, if you're not very good at drawing and you have a lot to do, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, kind of a pain. Well, I spe- people that have like you know prog- computer programs that you know like make maps of dungeons. Yeah. I've noticed a lot of they love to use them. Yeah, there's some of you that love mapping, and, that- and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, so so think about yeah. I think that that kind of that way of just doing it light, only focusing on the weird stuff, the mm-hmm. unusual, the non typical mm-hmm. stuff. And if, and if they want to explore the the mundane stuff, that's fine too. If they want right. to look around. The thing is, like, if they're looking around to a place like that, you know what they could find. Right. Like, well, okay, there's footlockers. You'd find uniforms and maybe some personal yeah. effects of whoever lived here. It's, yeah, I think that kind of stuff, 
logic and common sense could really get you through a lot of that. So for you, the first, so I mean, you start from the top, like, mm-hmm. and work your way down, basically. Yeah, I'm like, a top, I'm a top down person. All right, so uh, you come up with the idea, then you work on the general idea. Well, for uh, like the idea, the what this place was, right? And then, okay, once I know what it was, okay, what would they need to fulfill this? So how far do you go out from the initial base? I know we talk uh, – one thing we talked about before we recorded the episode was talking about the idea of um, some – these bases, these dungeons, they're different in one respect in that how do they interact with the environment around them? Uh, some of them okay. don't really – Obviously, now, Divine Fire couldn't because it's way up in the mountains, a race well, of everyone. Well, well let's but, explore well, that. At the time. Right. Okay, I think now if I – I, you know, the base in Divine Fire during World War II yeah. could not have anyone nearby because it was a Nazi military installation with the Nazis still in power. Right. But if I was, say, to run this like 20 years later, right. I could actually see there could be like a small town at the base of this, the mountain where it was at. Well, let's explore that. I mean, yeah. like, because again, we, so we basically the way actually, I, I thought about that, but right. I, when I just, the sequel, I then decided to go for the Soviet Union. Okay. Fair enough. But I actually I, – I've planned through some of that. OK. Uh, that's good. But the way I see it, there's generally two two ways of base. Base could either be a bubble which or a time capsule. Basically, it, it's totally out of sync with everything <laughs> around it. Like the Tomb of Horrors is a good example. The Tomb of Horrors just sits in the mountain. And if you don't go in the Tomb of Horrors, it doesn't matter. Nothing mm-hmm. leaks out. Nothing – anything that goes in doesn't come out. So it's it's just this little little place out of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you have the other case where it the, the this dungeon interacts with the rest of the environment, like Dep- uh, in, to varying degrees. The varying degrees, um, you know, the goblins in the abandoned w- old wizard's tower go out and raid the villages. So that's why the villagers are hiring adventurers to go after to to explore this wizard's tower to get rid of the goblins. Or there's something like the like the, actually the thing I think it was in Divine Fire is something could be leaking out, and just because there's not people nearby doesn't mean it doesn't interact. Like the radiation, the, the radiation could mutate wildlife you could see or it could be minor like you just see you know the trees have fallen down they've withered you know maybe winter but like that's not normal you know or it could be really bad like mutated wolves are literally at the fences just wait you know you see eyes out in the darkness and they're fucking and there's four of them for each one yeah Yeah. so yeah exactly (laughs) so there there could be some interaction with the so it could it's not necessarily the conscious like what the intelligent people inhabitants do to the other intelligent inhabitants do you know whether they trade whether they fight whether they steal or whatever um it could be leakage you know pollution infection whatever you want to call it uh, or it could be beneficial perhaps and, and, and so it doesn't always necessarily have to be uh, uh negative like for example the goblins in the wizard's towers uh keep out the kobold tribe who would mm. burn all the crops and kill everybody you know uh, for example mm-hmm. you know if they're or they keep out the wolves you know they tame the wool or they they tame the wolves so the wolves don't eat the livestock or whatever so there there are beneficial uh, uh or the ghouls uh, living know. below the cemetery yeah the ghouls below living in the cemetery eat all the dead bodies so there's no plague going around like there's not as much infection the water supply isn't infected because you throw the body in the water well the, you can't don't drink from the well mm-hmm. but you know that's what you know. So you think about the ramifications of how this dungeon interacts with every the place it is in. So, um, anyways, um, so that's 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 I think uh, like I, what I usually typically typically do too is the top down. Mm-hmm. You know, work from work. You know, from your concept. But why don't we just as a thought experiment try to work it from the way up, uh, from the the the, the mo- sort of take it the opposite. Like think of a place. And then start working our way up to what the concept is be. So, like, why don't we take, like, say, the missile silo, like we were okay. talking about earlier. So, what would be interesting about this missile silo? It's a bit like, um, 
what could we put in there uh, at first? So, all right, just for base raiders. So, a superhero, a supervillain thing. Let's say it's an abandoned missile silo that the U.S. Army sold off to a rich guy. So that would be the first detail, um, and then he turned it into a home, obviously. So that so it's a missile silo turned, you know, luxury mm-hmm. house. Um, so why? What's the real reason he would be in there, though? So or what would be um, an in- interesting ramification or something like that? That well, like the place wasn't actually a missile silo, okay, but was actually like a satellite. Like a place for launching things into orbit. Okay, so all right. Um, so the missiles were actually rocket, or actually orbital rockets. Okay, so all right. So it's an orbital rocket facility that they said was a missile silo. That they said was a missile silo. All right. So let's say the rich guy uh, knew about that, or he, although he let on that he wasn't, and so he starts using that to launch other things into orbit. Um, so or. Actually, no, he couldn't because they would still know about it because mm. you're launching into fucking orbits like the radar would pick that up. He needed this space. Um, it's, so what's interesting about that place? It's got a lot of space. It's got a lot of vertical space mm. underground. So you can do so, – if you need a lot of space underground that nobody would see, that would be the perfect place to do it, wouldn't it? Yeah. So what would you do in that kind of place? Um, yeah, you could do. Um, for one thing, let's say, uh, to go against type, he's not a high tech, he's not a super scientist, he's a wizard or an occultist. So let's say he used the place to conduct his research into dimensional portals. Like he was opening portals and he needed a lot of space, uh, to open up a portal into the netherworld. So what's next? Uh, what, what did he find there? Why? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that let's say uh, we'll think of a good, crazy, random, magical dimension. Hmm. Like the far realm. The far realm. Oh, like from fourth ed or yeah. third ed D and D. All right. Yeah. Uh, the basic standard thing. So he opens it up. Uh, nasty Cthulhu esque entities start pouring out. Uh, does he? Let's say, does he get out on time or does he get infected? Does he shut it down? Because I mean that that would be the place to do it because it's a contain. It's if it's even if it's an orbital rocket facility, it's still being you know a lot steel doors, vault doors, and that kind of yeah. thing. So and launch and silo covers. I've seen silo covers. Yeah. So pretty. So it's a pretty strong reinforced place. So they aren't getting out. Um, so does he shut it down in time or not? <coughs> he locks them in. He locks them in. Okay. Uh, and then so it's a base, uh, but he doesn't he doesn't know what to do with it. So he basically locks it up. Uh, he installs magical guardians to make sure nothing happens until, and then so he can go to try to find a way to, right. to just, you know. and then he disappears. That's where it's at. So, um, let's add one more complication. Let's say someone else stumbles across it and thinks it's a missile silo. So the person who thinks it's a missile silo, why would he want to be there? Is he an urban explorer explorer or oh, wait? No, it's, he thinks it's a missile silo, but turned into a house. Cause that's the public story, right? So who is this other person? Uh, is he someone trying to just get photos of it, or is he a saboteur? Or? Actually, I heard a story like this. There's, yeah. These people bought a, bought a missile silo Yeah, because they were like uh, not – I don't want to say pagans, but kind of like Wiccans. Wiccans. Yeah. And they wanted to cleanse what they thought was negative karma of a place of war. That used to oh, house, right. yeah. used to house weapons of mass destruction. So they're going there essentially to cleanse its karma. Okay, I like that. Which, uh, so, like, they're not. I mean, they're, you know, they're mystics, but they're not actual wizards. Okay. So, like, you know, they they they've read all kinds of mystical stuff. But they don't actually wield magic. Okay. 
All right, so they go there. They, they had the best intentions yes. in mind. Um, but the guy, the original guy, the wizard, left behind Guardians. The Guardians, but he's a good guy, we'll say. Um, so the Guardians capture these people, but they <laughs> kill them. And they don't know what to do with them because they're waiting for their boss to come back. And his boss isn't coming back. So they put them in. So they, they, they imprison them, basically. For their own safety. For their own safety. And the people, of course, are just pissed. And they're just like, ah. Uh. So one of them escapes and runs the vault and gets infected. Um, so he open, the doors open. They start pouring out. And so the place uh, starts getting infected. Or he's – yeah, so it could be – I could see three different ways. One – the the bad guys won out, and they've totally infected the place. So when the players go in, it's just this. It's a, it's, it's basically it's an alien dimension on Earth at this point, right? But there's all there there's still remnants of the wizard of mm-hmm. the orbital rocket facility and uh, the trace elements of what the the uh, karma people were doing. So like you know, uh, flower power, not nuclear power, you know that kind of <laughs> shit. Uh, or two, um, the good guys totally won. The guardians just close the door behind them and they're they're still holding guard but now they're getting paranoid maybe they're starting to go out and look for the guy like there's a couple of these you know golems or magical guards sentient golems yeah sentient golems and one of them's (coughs) wandering around the world trying to find the boss uh to figure out what the fuck to do and the other guys are holding down the fort and so things are getting paranoid and the the i I, I could start an adventure actually just a golem walking into the middle of a, of a like large city, yeah, just trying to find help, not knowing why people are freaking out when it's walking. Yeah, exactly. In. The guardians they're not exactly subtle about this. And by this point, he's wandered like five hundred miles, and nobody's you know the players. It's in the Midwest, like, and he's wandered to like Kansas City or some yeah. big city, and he and he has to keep the place secret because he you know that's his whole mm-hmm. job is to keep that place safe. So winning over his trust, <laughs> protecting them, yeah. So that could be a whole adventure, and then leads back to that. Or a third one, which I also find interesting, is like. The guy gets – the the activist gets infected, but the Guardians notice about it, and then they start fighting, and they're just evenly matched. So, you, so when the players get there, they find – detect traces of this ongoing siege mm-hmm. of the, the guys trying to push in and you know establish a beachhead, and the, the, the golems fighting them back. So it's a back and forth. So the players come in there, and then, of course, the Cthulhu thinks, help us, and the golems are like, help us. And you know the, the players have to figure out what's – and then the activist is like, oh, my god, rescue us. You know, So you have several – Or the activist starts reading some of the stuff the wizard left behind. Yeah, the wizard, yeah, left behind his book <laughs> of magic and they didn't even real and the golems aren't don't even know about that, you know. Uh, well, they well, he didn't leave any instructions for it. Exactly. So they're t- focused on keeping the dimension of, you know. And so like the other activist is now reading uh, yeah. actual magic books now. Yeah, and he's not very he's not a, a good learner, you know. So yeah, so you have multiple interpretations of what could, could be happening. So you have a <laughs> entire adventure for base raiders through this. You know, multiple ways of this, this could go. So, um, and the place itself is interesting, but it's not going to be like a massive sprawling dungeon. You know, it's mm-hmm. not going to take up. It's not ten levels of traps and golems and you know. Yeah, and what I really like about kind of like more superheroish dungeons yeah. is unlike most dungeons in fantasy, you can kind of repurpose them yourself later. Yeah, that's because true. You know, really, if you when you complete like you know the the temple of elemental you know elemental evil or yeah, you're not likely going to then use it as a base. I mean that's true. Uh, or by the time you finish it and you totally clear out all the bad guys, you're already so high level it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. You know, but stuff like this, you could actually then start to repurpose them. Yeah, that's true. Like yeah, you clear out the bad guy, you clear out the dimensional uh, monsters, uh, you. 
kill or befriend all the golems, and then hey, you've got a missile silo base that's hidden by magical wards and shit like that. Uh, and also, it, and also, a now golem and, and a group of golems that are actually happy to have a boss again. Right, exactly. Yeah. So if you or you can rebuild the golems with the the remnants that you destroyed. So. Right. Uh, right. Or you're now bosom buddies with the Far Realm, if that's what you wanted. Or the activists. Maybe the activists uh, <laughs> have a lot of friends. You know, who knows? There's a lot of different and ways. The, and, a, and a new wizard circle is formed. Yeah, exactly. So that now, that I want to run this. Yeah, it's like they're actually, you know, they're beginners, so uh, they mean very well, but they just need guidance. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. Like <laughs> they're like, um. I might have opened a teeny tiny little portal to hell. I didn't mean to. I, th- I just I zigged when I should have zagged, and it's really small. I mean, it's like no bigger than a trash can. Yeah, but imps are coming through it like at a dozen a minute. Yeah, uh, I mean, th- we're we're fighting them back, but they just keep coming. And yeah, like could you help? Like, like oh, for the, I I had plans this Saturday. Fine, let's go. <sighs> yeah, like we have to, like we have to get these guys supervision. Exactly. So, uh, so just just as a thought experiment, just off the top of our heads, we come up with a re- real mm. interesting base array that could be really, uh, it'd be an entire <laughs> mini campaign of just dealing with this one place. Holy shit! What do we do with it? How do we, you know, how do we make, turn a bad situation to a good situation? So, because uh, I think a lot of thing, a lot of mistake one thing i always find annoying is in dungeon D games is like oh we went to this dungeon we leveled up and we killed the dragon blah blah blah. And then we go to another dungeon on the other side of the world you know you just keep hitting these places and you know after you kill everything in the dungeon it's kind of it, and it's I, done you know? and they're not going to stay empty forever yeah i mean there a dungeon should be an interesting place it should be worth revisiting it should be like the centerpiece of a game like this missile silo it'll be really important you'll either be turned it'll either be the the uh the, where the apocalypse begins, or where you have your new super base at, at the end of the adventure, like, or or where your new uh, friends bege- are, new beginner wizard friends are. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to be yeah, it's going to that, be, be like an investment. They're not powerful or an influential now. Yeah, exactly. We'll give them some time. You know, work with them. <laughs> yeah. So that is so <coughs> it's something that you read like Batman. He go, keeps going back to the Batcave. He doesn't just like, Oh, I'm done with the Batcave. And now I'm going somewhere else, you know? No. And he keeps, and he, he keeps upgrading it. Yeah. And even though, even when occasionally people come in and attack him, he still sticks with it. Well, it's know? like XCOM aliens will eventually invade your base. Well, not the new one. Uh, yeah. but well, I'm talking about the old the classic, one, which one. the, I love seriously. I don't even need to mention that in a shout out. That is just, well, yeah, I love the, old, so the original too. So, I mean, it's just, awesome. I haven't played the, I haven't played the new one. Yeah, neither have I. I'm waiting for the price. Well, I've, to drop. I've, I've heard that they say if you thought the original was hard. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that too. But um, yeah, so I think this gives you an idea of what the this yeah, think, this game is about, like, what base raiders about, and w- yeah. what the potential of this base is. It's not just the adventure you go to today. It should be like it should be something you keep going back to. Yeah. You know, again, well, again. occasionally it'll be a one-time thing because you know there's always going to be the base where you have to blow it up at the end. Word, but, but, but then at that point, unlike you know clearing out a dungeon in D and D, blowing up then blowing up the place because it needed to, that means it is actually over. Yeah, you know, no one's going to be coming back to this place because it's been blown to shit. Yeah, unless it wasn't so blown up that there's still ruins left behind, then it's ruins, <laughs> and then it's a whole new base, so it never ends. So uh, I think that's the thing. It's layers upon layers. <laughs> layers upon layers, another RBBR catchphrase. Uh, so next up we'll have a, a letter from Tom, yep. and then we'll have some shout-outs. Uh, and then uh, anecdote, I will talk about my experiences with D&D Next, and Tom can comment on that. It will so. be so amazing. It will be. Stand so by. Amazing. 
This one goes out to the ones I love. No, that's not just an REM song. This one is an ode to those in RPGs that I love so dearly. I'm referring to the monsters, the horrible creatures that stalk the dark dungeons or abandoned labs and have only our death and dismemberment in mind. Yes, I know that any regular listener will know the unhealthy love affair I have with the creatures that stalk most games. If you don't, you haven't been paying attention. I mean, can you imagine what games would be like without monsters? You would be stuck fighting bandits and thieves for your XP. Think about it. Your badass party of warriors and wizards would be nothing more than cops. Yes, you would be slightly more violent versions of cops. You would be in taverns trading your bandit stories about the bandits you killed, while other adventurer cops would tell you their bandit stories and about the bandits they killed. Legends would be woefully uninteresting. And if there was an adventurer boasting about killing bandits and another boasting about slaying a dragon, which one do you think will be getting laid by the bar wench? I'll give you a hint. She will be screaming out loud about riding the little dragon slayer. So with Halloween coming up, I think this is a great time to give thanks to the monsters that allow your players to become the well-laid heroes they are. The next time you are plunging a spear into the giant eyeball of a beholder, take a moment to give a quick thank you for being such a cool monster, preferably before you are petrified. When you find yourself about to drop a flame strike spell on a lich, throw in a nice compliment into those verbal components. And when your vorpal sword is about to lop off the head of a dragon, go ahead and plant a big wet kiss on that dragon's lips as his head is removed, just to let him know that he is loved. And hell, even if you are killed, that can be cool too. When you are looking at Paylor in the afterlife, do you want to tell him that a bandit backstabbed you, or that a big fucking tarasque smashed you into a fine red paste with a 200-year-old tree as you screamed in defiance? Trust me, you will get some serious afterlife tale that way. We're back. We are. So, uh, in uh, for our shout-outs, uh, Tom, you you are the first one. You yeah, uh, first of all, first, uh, I'd like to say it's a shout-out to the American Royal, the barbecue competition in Kansas City, which I I didn't enter myself, but I was part of a team this year. Right. And uh, we, I will say, we did okay. We came in 19th out of like 545 for sausage. It's pretty good. One of the, one of the topics, and uh it's one of those places that, you know, the temp, like we had a cold snap around that, that weekend. It yeah. Like, it dropped to like 48 degrees. If there's any place you would want to be when it's really cold is a barbecue competition because there was flames everywhere. <laughs> Sir, there was like, it was like flame was all over. It was like, it was like a very delicious, very controlled hell. Just like everyone, everyone had perfectly controlled fire everywhere. But, uh, right. I mean, but of course, you know, on the, the smells alone, you know, when you're getting like, over over nearly six hundred of the best barbecuers in the country. Were some people coming from out of the country, or is it? Just uh, there might have been some international people coming in, yeah. but most of them were from probably from, Canadian. So that doesn't, Canadian. Even, that doesn't even count as nah, international. It's that doesn't. It's just America light. But yeah, and cue I, all the Canadian listeners yeah. are hitting you know sending yeah. the angry emails. And I would, but man, I'll say I I ate some amazing meat <laughs> that weekend, and it was really fun to help out because. Uh, I mean, I'm not a cook, but I'm really good at manual labor and cleaning up after we're all done. <laughs> but he said he actually the uh, the person we went the whose team we went with said cleanup that normally took four and a half hours took two. That's when yeah, we were there. That's good. 
I mean, you went to it last year for one day. Yeah, we were kind of late, so uh, I was here. I was there for the whole thing this year. Yeah, I just yeah. The reason I didn't go this year is because I had the, the Springfield right. author. Well, mm-hmm. uh, the author fest, and then <coughs> I gave a panel on zombies at the Springfield mm-hmm. Game Convention. Um, but Springfield Author Fair is at the library. I sold one total of one book there. That's still that's funny. one book. But like then there's this old nice old lady who's just oh this is oh, oh this is just so great. Tell me what do you know about crop circles? Do you think they're real? <laughs> just literally like <laughs> what do you I've, say to that? I'm just, I have yes, I have heard of crop circles. Do you think they're real? No, I I kind of think well they they bend the stalks so the plant doesn't bend. Well, I think they figured out how they do that, and there there's a way. They, oh really? Well, that's interesting. And then yeah, I'm like what? the hell was that? oh my god it's just like an out of body of yeah. experience uh, out of body experience oh. and yeah later not- on yeah i saw her like there's a whole there were two like we were up just lined up uh, on this corridor you know authors mm-hmm. on both sides and she was just going down the road talking to every author and just like half an hour later i could see her talking to someone two rows down two tables down i'm just like thank god i did not entertain her like jesus christ mm-hmm. oh well no anyway. i also used the trip to go to the world war one museum in kansas city oh man i really want to see that oh it's very awesome uh, Especially when you actually see the uh, they have, they have a shell casing from a big Bertha cannon. Oh, really? To let you know just how big that shell was. Damn! It's one of those like I could actually stand in it. Wow! And I'm like, that, whoa! That would kill some people. Yeah, that probably did kill some people. Yeah, and even funny, they also had on display something I saw on Engineering Disasters on the History Channel. Yeah, what is largely believed to be the worst machine gun ever built. <laughs> Okay. Like the most like the most flawed machine gun ever built. Is it a pepper box? It's design? called the Show Show. Okay. It's a French machine gun with a kind of a crescent shaped magazine. Oh which, yeah. And it's the thing is it's open in the middle. Yeah. So any dirt or rain that got in there would render it useless. They said they say it jammed constantly and none of the parts were manufactured uniformly, so you couldn't take parts from one gun and use it in another. <laughs> in fact, um, Wow. Sergeant, Sergeant York, when it yeah. went over there, actually, uh, he was quoted as asking about the show show. He said, is there anything good about this gun? And this French soldier said, well, if you break it down, you can use the parts to make a still. But that's it. <laughs> and I got to see one right there. Damn. That is uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, it's, that's what uh, the I really want to see it. So next time, uh, uh, I have to get up to Casey to see that. <laughs> Um, my first shout out will be for a book I'm reading. I'm not I'm halfway through it. It's called New Tales of the Yellow Sign. It's by Robin Laws, you know, the esteemed game designer and writer. <laughs> and it's basically uh, eight different short stories. It's an anthology of short stories. It's not just one novel link story. Uh, all connected thematically uh, somehow to the King in Yellow, to Robert W. Chambers' story. And it's... It's great because Robin uh, uh, goes through very different genres. He goes through sort of a spy thing. He does uh, a very interesting pastiche of uh, Chambers' kind of nineteenth, you know, early twenties, late nineteenth century writing uh, that's actually set in a war. That's very oh man. He he name drops stuff from the Repair of Reputations. Um, <laughs> Like you've read the Repair of Reputations, right? Or like you know, there's suicide booths in it. Yeah. Um, like he does a whole story about a, a guy who fixed suicide booths, and then like there was a revolution to throw off the king to to uh, unthrone the king of America, and and now he's dealing with other shit, and it's just crazy, cra- like all kinds. Of, if you if you're a big fan of Carcosa, uh, you know the King Yell, you'll love this. And even if you just like horror in general, um, there's like one my favorite story so far 
is it has this great gimmick. It's written in the second person, you know, like you're you're talk, arguing with your girlfriend and you're doing the blah blah blah. Then you black out. There are times where you just don't remember what happened. So like you're talking to your girlfriend. Now you're in the car with your girlfriend with a little girl you don't remember. You're driving somewhere. Now you're in a cabin with the little girl and your girlfriend. Your girlfriend's talking to him, someone else on the phone, and you're like, "Who is this little girl? Did we <laughs> kidnap her?" Now you're running through the woods with the little girl, and you're like, <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> like, oh my god, it's so good. So it's an ebook. It's you know four bucks as a Kindle ebook. So just you know get it. It's not even that long. It's like 170. Anyways, so uh, your second one, you were talking about that. Yeah, another, I was stand up comedy. You yeah. know, that's a thing of mine. Uh, I mentioned uh, Dylan Moran before from Black Books, Irish comedian I really like. Yeah. Uh, I don't, it's not brand new, but it's one of his acts called, it's called Like Totally. Yeah. And it's just him being himself, you know, the chain smoking while perpetually drunk yeah. comedy that I really love. Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, really great stuff. Really great stuff. Just uh, his delivery is just, Drunk Irish guy. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. It's really great. Yeah, no, he's a very funny uh, comedian, and uh, I like his stuff. So, um, that did you watch it on DVD or was it on? TV? It was on YouTube. Uh, okay. Actually, I've I've now I've ordered a couple more of his. Oh, cool, cool. Um, I'll have to watch some of those. Uh, I want to mention something else. I'm reading Lucifer, the Vertigo comic. Right. Caleb has the entire series in trade paperbacks. I just borrowed his, and I've been reading through that. And I'm about two thirds. Better one's free. Yeah. Well, no. Well, it's better when it's actually printed because you you have the pages and uh, it's printed well. Anyways, um, it's a spinoff from Sandman, but it's written by Mike Carey. It's not uh, Lucifer's written by Mike Carey, not Neil Gaiman. Well, it's based on the Gaiman's version of Lucifer, and so he's gone out of hell. He's no longer he's abdicated the throne of hell, and what is he up to? Cra- and it's crazy f- modern fantasy kind of stuff, you know, and <laughs> it's. I don't know. I find it really interesting. What's interesting is they make all the supporting cast. It's not, I mean, Lucifer's the center of the series, but a lot of it isn't about Lucifer. It's about the people around him that he interacts with, that he barely talks to sometimes. And, uh, it's, it's been a great ride so far. So it's, it's, if you like Sandman, you'd love, you'd like, uh, uh, Lucifer too. So, and if you just like, the idea of, you know, American gods or uh, Scion or those, you know, walking the real world and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. You'll like this, too. So anyway. Nice. Um, oh, and finally, two video games I just beat recently um, on Steam. Costume Quest, which is from Double Fine. Uh, since we're getting closer, we'll do a horror episode pretty soon. We're, I'm sorry. We, we will. We went longer we than usual without doing an episode. Um, but... Costume Quest is a Halloween-based game where you're playing a little kid. And it's very – you could so easily make this into a Monsters and Other Childish Things campaign. It's ridiculous. Like instead of – like the idea is your, your sibling, uh, your brother or your sister was kidnapped by monsters. You have to go get her or him. And if you ha- – whenever you fight the monsters, whatever costume you're wearing, you turn into. So if you're wearing a robot costume, you turn into a robot. And then it's standard kind of Final Fantasy like which monster do you want to hit and then you know there's like – um, sort of quick time events in order to maximize <coughs> damage, right. and you build up charges to unleash special attacks, and you recruit friends who will come and help you. And uh, like one of the characters, you can be as Lady Liberty. One of the costumes you can have is Lady Liberty, and like her special move is to heal everybody by just sh- like she just jumps forth and does the anime thing, holding up the torch out high, and it shows <laughs> pictures of Abe Lincoln, and an eagle flies by, nice. and uh, there's a unicorn, and there's just uh, let's see what else. I u- I was usually the robot. Uh, so wow, we- yeah. Ross likes robots. Well, the thing is that like they some of the. Um, 
there's the bat fight screen, and then there's the overhead screen where you just wander around, talk to people, and in the some of the costumes have special abilities for that. And like the special ability for the uh, robot was that he could he had ro- rocket roller skates, so he could run much faster than anyone else. So I was just like, "Fuck walking! I'm just gonna run everywhere," you know. Uh, so that was. Blah. I do like speeding things up. Yeah, it's a short game altogether. There's a free expansion for it that comes with the game called Grubbins on Ice, which is sort of Christmas themed. Where, uh, but it's the same basic mechanics, mm-hmm. and but Be- all beating both together takes eight hours. I didn't get. Yeah. I got all but two achievements. Be crushed by his jolly boots of doom. Well, it, they, by the monster <laughs> kingdom, you know, like they're. I don't know. It, it it's got their own convoluted thing, but it's double fine production. They did Psychonauts and uh, a bunch of other great heavy metal, or what was that? Um, what was that one with Jack Black in it the, that he voiced? I know what you're talking. I just can't remember the name, but yeah. I know what you're talking about. So he, it's good, high high grade stuff. And then finally, FTL, which is a game that was speaking of Kickstarter. On Kickstarter uh, is a video game where it's you're the crew. You control a spaceship as it goes through space, and you control all the crew members. Uh, and you have different. It's a little like Artemis, actually, spaceship simulator, where you can uh, like you have one guy in the pilot seat, one play in weapons and shields, and you know, so on and so forth. And you have to you have this message. You have to get to the to the to the Federation before the evil rebel fleet comes and destroys everything. So you have to keep moving forward through eight different levels or sectors. And every time you make a jump, you have some sort of random encounter. Like you can fight guys, you can help people and get free stuff. And you're trying to upgrade your ship as much as possible and your crew as much as possible before you get to the final battle with the, the huge boss fight. So it's not, it's, it's a roguelike game. So it's randomly generated, but it's an hour or two long at most. And it's really fun and really addicting. Um, like, so Yeah. It's, awesome. Yeah, it sounds like you, you like try. it. I mean, the, one of the races are mantis people. Yeah, I, I, well, ever ever since uh, Portal Two, yeah, mantis men. I'm, yep, I'm rather and, I'm rather happy with them. Um, so finally, uh, <laughs> we have the anecdote, which um, you can just ask if you have any questions about it. <laughs> I'm just talking. Uh, I'm yes, a horrible not Yes, go ahead and describe your encounter, Ross. Um, so last week I got a chance to playtest D&D Next, which is – I didn't sign anything. It was the public playtest documents uh, that Bill, that has who has been on several AP mm-hmm. games, uh, ran for a couple people. I didn't record it um, because I was lazy. I was at somebody else's house and I was lazy. So Good job. <laughs> we made level one characters. Um, I played Mord, er, Mord Untermerton, the, the fifth – uh, a noble fighter, a human fighter. So I had a strength of 21 because uh, I, I rolled an 18 for one stat. Uh, <coughs> and I was just a straight up murder machine, a great wielding a great sword. And, but you were a noble. Yeah. Like you like the way it works is you don't pick skills anymore. You pick a background and the background will give you three skills and some other unique advantage. Um, and like for the, the noble, you get three retainers, three servant guys will just do whatever you tell them to. They're not <laughs> fighters or anything, but like. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll take the servants who have to do what I say. Yes, you know. Yes, it's like meet me like meet me in the graveyard at, graveyard at midnight tonight. Bring three capable men such as yourselves. Exactly. <laughs> so Percival Duquesne and Barry Lyndon were they? Were, I called them. Uh, so I just mat- min maxed as much damage dealing as I could, and then uh, John played a cleric, and then another guy Jesse played a wizard. And so we went in the Caverns of Chaos, which is a standard D&D adventure. And we went in like the the one on the left side called D or Entrance D. And we just 
killed some goblins, killed, got ambushed by some goblins, <coughs> killed them. And, That's really what they're for. Yeah. Uh, then we they went in the second room, fought, uh, tricked some goblins into going and attacking orcs by making really good charisma checks. Uh, hey, you guys. You no, know, it was basically, we're in charge here. Why aren't you attacking the orcs? Go and kill the orcs. Like, the word like, like, were we supposed to attack the orcs? Like, <laughs> Why are the humans commanding us? Like, d- they never tell us anything. <laughs> yeah. So that was fun. And then we, we, we find a locked door and we eventually like take off the hinges of the door <laughs> just to pull it down. And uh, we the wizard – there's hobgoblins in there. And so the wizard is like, well, fuck it. I'll run into the center of the room and cast sleep uh, or cause fe- – no, I'll cast cause fear on all the hobgoblins. So they'll all go to sleep. And, they'll all, and if I run into the center of the room, I can hit all of them <laughs> at once. And he does that, and the GM explains, "Yeah, these go- hobgoblins have an ability that lets them ignore fear." <laughs> Whoops! Uh, so the wizard was out of the rest of the fight. He just got stabbed by these hob these these Spartan hobgoblins with long spears, and he got stabbed. And uh, then the so maybe kind of like that scene from Pulp Fiction where the guy runs out, just fires six shots, and they're just looking around. Yeah. That was pretty much it. Only there were seven hobgoblins instead of like two. (laughs) So there's seven, six or seven hobgoblins. And then uh, John the cleric takes down one hobgoblin by casting searing light on him. But he then he gets taken down. And then it's only me left out of the three. And I have 20 hit points, 16 AC. And I do like 12 damage on average per hit if I hit somebody. I have a plus eight to hit. And so, because Bill rose so badly for all the hobgoblins, I actually <laughs> kill five of them. Wow. I just kill all of the other goblins. I was down to five hit points by the end, but I chased down the one guy that was going to flee, and, like, yeah. Like, he should just go, attendant, beverage. Well, I actually didn't take the attendants on me with the, into the actual dungeon, because I was afraid they'd just get murdered. <laughs> well, they Although, were. I should have, because they could have loot- carried more of the loot, you know. Uh, but, it was fun. So, it was fun, because we almost got total party killed and we were being just totally stupid like yeah fuck it we'll go in we kicked the door down and Luke slit their throats um, there was like a teen like a kid hobgoblin left and I felt bad for him so I just gave him the gold the silver coins that I found patted him on the head and told him to be on his way it's like oh <laughs> this is awkward I usually have people do this for me you you go <laughs> like, away like, go, like, mm, oh yes here you go mm, yeah <laughs> uh, yes uh, I, I just felt awkward about killing all of his uncles basically so uh, and then but for me, it's interesting how they're balancing it in in this fifth ed playtest. Basically, my guy, you know, he had plus eight to hit, 20 hit points, 16 AC, did a D12 plus a D6 plus five damage when he hit. Like, they have this thing called combat superiority where I could use this D6 die to either reduce damage from an attack or do an additional D6 uh, uh, on if I hit somebody. So I could choose what I wanted to do it on. So uh, I usually use it to hit for damage just so I could, you know, one shot each hobgoblin. And it was so the way they bound the way it seems to me is they basically made me the equivalent of a third level character and kept everybody else a first level character. Like, um, like, I, I don't know, because otherwise the wizard had several abilities that were like, oh, if they fail their save, I win the fight. You know, it's like mm. save or die type effects. And the cleric could heal and, you know, casting is pretty balanced, but. I min-maxed as much as I could as a fighter, and I, yeah, totally. And God bless you, too. Yeah. 
But it's interesting. That's how they're responding to this. Like in, in third edition, the whole thing was wizards were better. Spellcasters were better than non-spellcasters. And then fourth, that every, everybody was balanced. But people started bitching that everybody had to do actual, you know, pay attention to their abilities and the shit. So now in fifth, ed, they're like, yeah, fighter, you don't have to pay attention. But here, we'll just give you more stats. You know, we'll give you more damage. We'll give you all this <laughs> other shit. So I don't know. It's uh, an interesting trend. Uh, any thoughts on that, Tom? Uh, I don't know. It's it kind of seems like they're just going back and forth, trying to balance things out that may not be able to be balanced very well. And ple- I mean, there. So, do you think a wizard can be balanced with a fighter in D anD? I yeah. I, I I'm yeah. I love three point five, and I love Pathfinder. But I'm not blindly in love with it. And yes, I can acknowledge if you're playing a fighter. Why? Why? <laughs> yeah. Basically, why? Like your choices are to attack or n- not. Yeah. You're to attack or. Yeah. Because wizard spellcasters literally get superpowers. Like, mm-hmm. like I can turn invisible. I can fly. I can throw fireballs. Yeah. And my favorite class, the druid. Yeah. It's like, I can do all this magic, and I can become giant animals that can inflict lots of damage. Yeah. So you are you can be a fighter or a spellcaster, or you could do both at the same time, basically. And so. If you're going to be a fighter, if you want to use a sword and armor, why wouldn't you just be a cleric? Yeah. That's kind of the way I look at it. And, and eventually, you know, all those, like, well, like they get m- many more multiple attacks. Like, yeah, but your odds of hitting go down with each one. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean... It's about versatility. I mean, so I don't know. Um, we played at level one. We got to level two. If we, you know, we got enough experience to get to level two. Uh, but we, that, that, so level one, it seems kind of balanced right now as it is because by blatantly giving fighters more power, you know, attacking mm-hmm. power and everything, they, they kind of balance it out a little. So, but the, I am not looking forward to buying more core books. Well, I mean, I'll I'll play. You know, when when Fifth Head comes out, we'll we'll play, we'll run it, we'll post APs of it. Uh, I don't know if we'll do. I don't think we'll do an entire super long campaign of it. No, uh, well, we tried Fourth Head before we did a super long campaign. Yeah, yeah, and, and we agreed that okay, hey, maybe we could do a campaign. Yeah, this. and it worked out well. I think everybody will. But I think it was it wasn't just this. It wasn't the system. That was because we had really great players and characters. I think. Yeah, I think the system was kind of secondary. Um, yeah, by the end it was. I mean, beforehand, yeah. I think it was pretty important, but by the end, yeah, definitely. So, but I, that campaign was successful because of we got along really well as a group. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how Fifth Ed shakes out. So I'm not, uh, yeah. So if I play test again, I'll I'll, I'll talk about it here. But if it's something, uh, but I'm not gonna run a games of it. I'm certainly not gonna post APs of it until the actual game is published because I don't think it's fair to do that for a playtest, you know. Uh, you know, and you can everyone get the playtest documents pretty easily. I think they're publicly available. You just have to give them your email address or something like that. So it's not a big deal. So yeah. Anyway, okay. Uh, so anyways, uh, this has been RPPR episode seventy eight, base rating one hundred one. And don't forget, contribute to Base Raiders, the Kickstarter, if you want to see us uh, make really great books. It's gonna be awesome. Yes. So uh, we'll see you guys next time.